Thank you, Jill. My name is Lynn Kent, and I approve that message. <laughs> well, um, many of you have asked where my wife Lois is, and she is doing grandchild duty. She is uh, uh, in Boise this weekend, uh, taking care of grandchildren while our kids go off on an anniversary, and then she's going on to Denver, and I'm going to join her there. I'll take off after next Sunday service and uh, join her there for a fourth birthday for uh, one of our granddaughters. So that's why she is not around. I was originally going to come here because Tommy and Sue would be enjoying that wonderful trip, reuniting with their daughter in, in England, and what a disappointment uh, for her injury and also just not being able to go there. So I know that you'll keep them in prayer, and um, I know also that you'll grant them more time in the future, right, so that they can do that, right? Can we have a congregational show there? All in favor, say aye. All right. Pose, same side. Don't you dare, Bill. <laughs> well, I have provided an outline because uh, it kind of helps to keep us on track, and it also keeps you busy. Um, and I like the idea of doing that because you also know how close to the end I am, which is really important um, as we uh, go along today. So I'm going to ask us to stop just one more time and, and uh, connect with the Lord as we open his word, which is so important, isn't it? Jesus, thank you for these dear people and for this dear congregation. And uh, the way that our world is today, I think it's always been said, but in the last few years, it just seems like it's gotten increasingly chaotic and seemingly out of control. And I couldn't think of a better thing to talk about today than your omnipotence, your power. And so I pray that we'll all be encouraged by the things that we see in your word today. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When you see that uh, title of today's message, really the message of these next two Sundays, Meet Your Maker, you usually think, okay, we're getting ready to die, right? Oh, be careful because you're about to meet your maker. Well, the reality is if you wait until you die to meet your maker, it's too late, right? We need to meet the maker before then, and we want to get to know him more all of the time. And um, there are different ways that we can talk about uh, meeting our maker as we get started in all of this. Three ways of doing that. By the way, I've got your outline there for you. I'm, um, I ask you to fill in those spots along the way because it'll, it'll help you and it'll help me as we're looking at these aspects, I think, that are very important to meet the maker. First way that we get to know God, obviously, is through creation. And we've, sang, we've sung about that today, haven't we? We look at the things that God has made. Romans 1.20 talks about that and said, nobody has an excuse for saying they don't know about God. Because we can just, I've always said, I don't know how anybody can be an Oregonian and an atheist. The two just don't make any sense, especially if you drive down the Columbia River Gorge like I did today and uh, just see the wonders that are there. So that's the first indication of the existence of God, the power of God. Uh, Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. Second way that we get to know God is through what we call special revelation. So you have natural revelation, and then you have special revelation, and there, obviously, we're talking about the Bible, the Bible that doesn't come just from people, just some ideas that people had in their head, but as this passage says in 2 Peter, men were moved along by the Holy Spirit, and his word is there for us to get to know him in a very specific way. The third way that we get to know God is through personal experience. Personal experience. The things that we experience 
the reality of God working in our life, working in our world, working in our situations. Now, it's important that all three of these things be used in terms of our getting to know the maker better. First of all, if our only source for knowing God is through creation, then we could easily become pantheists, and some people are pantheists. They worship the creation rather than the creator. If our only source for knowing God is through Scripture, then we can be intellectually informed but lack a personal connection with him. So there's a lot of people who know Bible verses and things about the Bible who really have never experienced God themselves. And then if our only source for knowing God is personal experience, what happens is people try to create their own God rather than the God of the Bible. And a lot of people are doing that today, obviously. My God wouldn't do this, or my God does that. And it isn't a matter of my God, and I'm making one up. So we need all of these things working together. If we're going to meet our maker, if we're going to get to know God better, we observe creation, we study God's word, and then we experience God personally. The messages, um, these two messages on the attributes of God are going to be centered on the word of God with confirming evidence from creation and our own personal experience. And I'm going to be looking at just two of the many attributes of God, and there's no way that we could cover even those adequately in the time that we have. But we're going to be looking today at omnipotence, his power, he's all-powerful, and then next Sunday we're going to look at his holiness. So let's, uh, talking, let's talk about what it means, the concept <clears throat> of omniscience, or om- omnipotence, rather. The first thing to know about this is that God, God's power is unlimited. God's power is unlimited. I don't know if you can see that very well. Can you see it very clearly from where you are, that passage? Psalm 135, 6. I think that this is the essence of omnipotence. If I was really merciful, I'd just read this passage and then dismiss you all for lunch. But Psalm 135, 6 says, the Lord does anything he wants to do in the heavens and on the earth. The Lord does anything he wants to do in the heavens and on the earth. Can you read... Say that out loud with me, okay? The Lord does anything he wants to do in the heavens and on the earth. Such unlimited power was first demonstrated, of course, in the creation of the heavens and the earth. Seemingly without exertion or exhaustion or frustration, God simply speaks everything into existence. He simply comes on the scene and he says, light, water, stars, land, mountains, vegetation, fish. I mean, he didn't even have to say trout, cod, mahi-mahi, salmon, or tuna. He just says fish, and the fish come. Unlimited power means that God never gets tired, never runs low on energy, never runs low on creativity. And that passage that Jill just read for us emphasizes that fact that God lasts. He's creator of all you can see and imagine. He doesn't get tired out. He does, I love this, the way that the message puts this. He doesn't pause to catch his breath. God never has to stop and go, have you ever done that after going upstairs? Even young people, right? You have to stop and kind of go, God never has to do that. He never gets tired. He never gets weary. It's just as easy for him to answer a child's prayer as it is to create a universe. Now, this unlimited power is fantastic. It's wonderful, but it also can be kind of scary. 
What if the possessor of unlimited power were to unleash it on a whim or an anger? Entire lives and cities and nations and even the planet could be wiped out in a moment of time. The almighty, omnipotent one can and will defeat anyone, any nation who opposes him and his purposes. If you have your Bibles, which of course you do, because this is Shepherd of the Valley Bible Church. Right, okay. So I want you to turn with me to Psalm 2. Psalm 2. And I'm going to read just a few excerpts from this that I think are certainly pertinent to this case. Psalm 2, beginning in verse 1. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? Thank you very much. The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. Boy, doesn't that sound like today? We don't want the shackles that God puts on us. We don't want his rules. We don't want his limitations. We don't want his boundaries. Let's just throw everything off. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. And then go down to verse 10. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Hiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. A weak wonder why God doesn't lash out. I mean, look at the stuff that's going on, folks. Why doesn't God lash out? Especially when people, in essence, get in his face and say, we're going to throw the shackles off. God, we don't care what you say about human life. We don't care what you say about marriage. We don't care what you say about sexuality. We don't care about laws. We'll be as lawless as we want to be. And just get in his face that way. And the reality is that in addition to being unlimited, God's power is under control. God's power is under control. His omnipotence is impressive, but it's just one of his many attributes. God's power is perfectly balanced with his wisdom, his patience, his mercy, his love, and his faithfulness. We ought to be all very grateful that God is not capricious that he's completely in control of his power, using it as befits his character and his eternal purposes. This is seen in a passage that many of you may be very familiar with, 2 Peter 3, 9 and 10. The Lord isn't so uh, slow about keeping his promises as some people think he is. In fact, God is patient because he wants everyone to turn from his sin and no one to be lost. The day of the Lord's return will surprise us like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a loud noise, and heat will melt the whole universe. Then the earth and everything on it will be seen for what they are. Those of us who are saved, we're in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, should be very grateful that God's power is under control. Otherwise, we could all be wiped out like that, right? We could all be wiped out like that. And next week we're going to talk about the, the character of his holiness and see how that, that fits in with this. God puts limits on his power in order to allow us to be involved in the accomplishment of his will. Somewhat like a parent 
who um, could mow the lawn. You could mow the lawn yourself. You could do the homework for yourself. You could settle the dispute more quickly and accurately than your kids do, at least up until they're in second grade. But, and parents are available, but we're also interested in the development of our kids, don't we? We want to see our children develop. And that's more important to us than a manicured lawn where all the right answers were peace and quiet. So God gives us room because his power is under control. He gives us room and space to try and fail, to sin and overcome, to pray and to work, to learn and to grow. He could do it all on his own, from taking care of <clears throat> the landscaping to evangelizing the world. But he has called us to be his co-laborers, and he, so he works with us and through us, rather than simply doing everything for us. Philippians 2.13, it is God who is working in you. He helps you want to do what pleases him, and he gives you the power to do it. There's a lot more that could be said about that, but we're going to move on, and we're going to observe some evidence of omnipotence at work. And again, there's things to fill in on your outline there as we look at evidence of his omnipotence. First of all, over nature, over nature. The working definition of a miracle is uh, defying the laws of nature, defying gravity, for example, defying the laws of space and of time. Scripture records over 200 accounts of God's miraculous power over nature, starting with those uh, 10 plagues which God inflicted on Pharaoh in Egypt, turning the water into blood, the frogs, the gnats, uh, the flies, disease on livestock, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, the death of firstborn sons, all done by God's declaration through his servant Moses. On one occasion, he caused a donkey to speak. I think today a greater miracle might be getting some donkeys to shut their mouths, but that's a different issue. <laughs> Virgin birth of Christ, obviously, a miracle that only God could pull off. And I really like this one too, the calming of a stormy sea. Mark 4.39 says it like this. He got up, Jesus asleep in the boat, and the storm comes up on Galilee. It says he got up, scolded the wind, and said to the sea, silence, shut up. The wind died, and there was a flat calm. Can you imagine God doing that? He, had, he would have the power to do that over a hurricane like Ian. He would have the power to simply step in and say, shut up, Ian. Stop it. I think we all agree that only an omnipotent God could exert that kind of power over nature. But consider as well his power over men. By this, I mean he has the ability and the authority to dramatically change the course or fortune of a, per, uh, of a person's life. Graphic case in point of that is a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Again, if you have your Bibles and want to turn with me to the book of Daniel. And the reference is right there. Daniel chapter 4, <clears throat> and I'm going to pick it up in verse 30. Some of you are well acquainted with this story. 
Walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar said, Is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven, This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Does that remind any of you of what we read about Howard Hughes back in the old days in terms of what he turned into that uh, amazing? At the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven. My sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures uh, from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he, as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? That means that God could change the life and fortune of Elon Musk. He could change the life and fortune of Bill Gates or Kim Kardashian or Mark Cuban. God still has the power, and I believe that he uses it as his pleasure to exalt the humble and to humble the exalted. God has power over men, regardless of how rich and powerful they may seem to be. God also has power over angels. Psalm 103, the Lord has set his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over everything. You who are his angels, praise the Lord. You are the mighty warriors uh, who do what he says and obey his voice. You, his armies, praise the Lord, and you're his servants. You do what he wants. We know from different scriptures that uh, angels surround the throne of God, uh, worshiping him and praising him. We know that they uh, actually provided background music during creation. We're going to read a verse that talks about that, which is pretty cool. They've been used by God to deliver messages, to protect the faithful, and to destroy the wicked. It's also very encouraging to know that God has power over Satan. The power that was first seen when he expelled Lucifer from heaven due to his, the sin of trying to usurp the position of the Most High God. You can read about that in Isaiah chapter 14. Jesus was victorious over every temptation which Satan threw at him out there in the wilderness and throughout his lifetime. Even though the devil has enormous power and influence in our world today, it's limited and has been short-circuited on many occasions. And we know that God eventually will have the obvious victory over Satan. We read that in Revelation, Revelation 20, verse 10. The devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fire, fire, fiery, lake, uh, uh, fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The Old and New Testaments are filled with examples 
the fact that God is also victorious and powerful over disease and death. Sometimes it was with a word and other times it was with a touch that the blind received their sight, deaf were made to hear, the lame walked, the diseased were cured, um, sometimes due to the faith of the recipient and sometimes there was no faith involved at all. God is that powerful. One, another one of the accounts that I really like is in John chapter 11 where Jesus raised his good friend Lazarus from the dead. And he goes to the tomb and he called out in a thunderous voice, Lazarus, come out. Then the man who was dead walked out of his tomb, bound from head to toe in a burial shroud. Untie him and let him go. As has often been pointed out, it was important that Jesus was specific and said, Lazarus, come out, because if he hadn't been that specific, every corpse in the cemetery would have come out. But he says, Lazarus, come out. And he came out. Demonstrates God's omnipotence. They were very impressive. And they happened when, at the time that they happened, but also impress us and encourage us when we read about them, which is why we continue to need to be in the Word and be reminded of God's omnipotence, seeing the way that he used it during the Bible days. Well, let's take a step further in all of this <clears throat> and see some dramatic confrontations with his power. And we're going to look at the lives of a couple of men. First of all, to a man by the name of Jeremiah. You've heard of him before. Sometimes we call him the weeping prophet. The Old Testament prophet wasn't just having a bad day. He wasn't just having a bad week or month. He was having a bad ministry. He kept preaching, but virtually no one in Israel paid any attention to him. They didn't respond in humility and repentance. Nobody came forward at the invitation. No one signed a card. No one prayed a prayer. But Jeremiah keeps preaching. It wasn't just a matter of feeling like a failure. I mean, the guy was ridiculed and he was imprisoned. On several occasions, he was just so overcome with self-pity that he submitted his resignation to God. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever submitted your resignation to God? Say, quit, I quit. I can't handle this anymore. I just can't do this anymore, so I'm handing in my resignation. And you know what? God never accepted it. He never did. He felt like a lot of preachers on Mondays and in August. It was a tough time for Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 20, he languished in self-pity on the edge of rebellion God, in essence, says to him, Jeremiah, you think I'm out of power. You think I've lost my punch since I haven't fulfilled the prophecies of discipline on Israel. But just you wait because these prophecies are all going to be fulfilled in spades. And then in Jeremiah chapter 32, this is quoting what God has to say. Jeremiah, I'm the Lord God. I rule the world and I can do anything. It is just, it's true that I uh, am going to let King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon uh, capture Jerusalem. The Babylonian army is already attacking, and they will capture the city and set it on fire. The people of Jerusalem have made me angry by going up against the flat roofs of their houses and burning incense to Baal and offering wine sacrifices to other gods. Now these houses will be burned to the ground. 
How many of you have been to downtown Port Portland recently? Any of you? I mean downtown. I'm not talking about around. We live in Gladstone, so we're 12 miles from downtown. But when I look at Portland today, I used to brag about Portland. You know, we've had interim ministries from coast to coast, and I used to talk about how great Portland is. I'm not bragging so much anymore. It almost looks like evidence of God's judgment on that once beautiful city. A more familiar confrontation with the power of God was uh, to Job. Who among us, uh, among us wouldn't have complained if we experienced even what, half of what Job went through? And if you remember about him, he lost his children, he lost his fortune, he lost his health, his wife became cynical and accusatory, and his friends were always criticizing him. Now, to his credit, he hung on to a submissive, humble spirit for a long time, but finally Job cracked. He proclaimed his innocence of anything even close to deserving <clears throat> this kind of punishment. He's absolutely eloquent in his own defense. You look in Job chapters 27 through 31. I mean, he gets real specific and he said, God, this is what I'm like. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve all the stuff that's happening to me. He comes very close to saying to God, you are unfair, you're uncaring, you're unaware, or you're unable to deal with my situation. Then in chapters 38 through 41, God absolutely pummels Job with an explanation of his omnipotence. Here's just a sampling from it from Job 38. It's up on the screen from the message translation. Pull yourself together, Job. Up on your feet. Stand tall. I have some questions for you, and I want some straight answers. Where were you when I created the earth? Tell me, since you know so much. Who decided on its size? Certainly you'll know that. Who came up with the blueprints and measurements? How was its foundation poured? And who set the cornerstone while the morning stars sang in chorus and all the angels shouted praise? That's the passage I like to go to that says there was background music during creation. Anyway, angels singing during that going on. Then God went on to declare his power over the oceans and the seasons and stars and animals and fish. God got, or Job got the picture that God gets really sensitive when we begin to question his power and when we question his wisdom. This battered believer responded the way that made sense, the only logical way to respond when God scolds you like he scolded Job. He said, I am so small. How can I reply to you? I'll cover my mouth with my hand, for I've already said too much. Like Jeremiah and Job, I think we need to be reminded from time to time that God can do or allow anything he chooses in our world and in our lives. Psalm 115.13 says, Our God is in heaven. He can do whatever he wants. Let's read that aloud together. It should sound very familiar to the last one we read out loud. Our God is in heaven. He can do whatever he... I think it needs to be a little stronger than that, folks. What are we, Presbyterians, Methodists? Let's speak up a little, okay? Our God is in heaven. He can do whatever he wants. <laughs> Again, if you don't get anything else out of this message today, remember that. God is in heaven. 
He can do whatever he wants. God's omnipotence is impressive. But other than praising him, is there any way that I can experience God's omnipotence in my life? Who of us, even the most committed Christians, wouldn't admit to feeling impotent? Feeling like victims. We talk a lot about the victim mentality today. Sometimes we all feel like victims. I'm a victim of my character flaws. I'm a victim of my bad habits. I'm a victim of personality quirks. I'm a victim of foolish decisions and behavior patterns that just never change. We want so bad to curb our tongues. We want to control our anger. We want to reduce anxiety. We want to think good thoughts. We want to do the right thing, but our noble intentions go unfulfilled, except maybe we do little short sprints, and then we kind of fall back into the old patterns again. When our kids were starting to drive, became teenagers, we bought a car for them. It was a really fancy one. It was a 1981 Honda Accord. <clears throat> what we referred to as the gutless wonder, which is exactly what you want for teenage drivers, right? Periodically, however, the, uh, the old Accord wouldn't turn over. And um, we'd you know, try to deal with it and go tick, tick, tick. Don't you hate that sound? When you try to turn your car over, you go tick, tick, tick. So we tried jumping it. Didn't help. We put the battery on a charger overnight. Still wouldn't start it. It wouldn't even sputter. Now, if you are a professional or even a backyard mechanic, I bet you would diagnose our problem really quickly. The problem was not the battery. The problem was the cable. The battery cable. All the power's there. It just wasn't getting to the car because the cable is bad. There's plenty of power available because God is all-powerful, but how do we get it to flow? How do we deal with the cable issue in our lives, in our, our battery, so we can get the battery power to us? So I'm going to share three basic principles as we wrap this up today on how to activate God's power in our lives. Now, understand that I'm not offering you a simplistic or quick little formula, kind of like a jump start. These are actions that can become habits that we pursue with great humility and honesty. So I want you to consider with me appropriating the benefits of omnipotence. And I want to assure you today from God's own word that he really does want you to experience, and he wants me to experience, greater power in our lives. And that's from that passage that Jill read a while back, Isaiah 40, 28 through 31. The thing that we need to do, looking at that, is to admit to personal weakness. Admit to personal weakness. We come to our omnipotent God, and we don't feel much like a soaring eagle. That passage says we'll mount up on wings like eagles. Sometimes we just feel like a lame duck, don't we? Kind of a wounded duck. Not much power there. It's more of a problem for some of us, especially if we're high energy, multi-gifted, moderately successful in our life. And so we tend to think that we can probably fix almost anything. We can probably handle almost anything that comes along. We just work a little harder. We work a little smarter. We change our diet. We exercise. We take a seminar or network with some people. 
Um, we take some of our money out of the bank and we, in, we put money toward the problem and uh, we think we can pretty much fix the outcome. We can handle it because we've handled a lot of things in our life before. Then uh, things happen that we don't have control over. This is always a hard thing. The company reorganizes and downsizes, or what they say now is right-sizes. Basically what it means, you don't have a job anymore. You didn't see it coming, it came out of nowhere. Your body starts to show the signs of age from the waistline to the hairline to the lifeline. Things start to happen in our bodies. I'm 73 years old. I'm not even the same that I was when I was back with you guys. 10 years ago or whatever it was. Things happen, and I don't have any control over them. There are other people who feel weak and powerless all the time. Um, they really never live with much expectation that much is going to happen in their lives, uh, that God could empower them in any special or unique way. So we've learned to live on low energy and minimal, minimal spirituality. If you uh, are going to tap into God's unlimited power, we have to start at the most basic level of honesty and say this. this you will find this in no success seminar today, so just it's not going to be that. Three words. I am weak. Say that out loud. I am weak. Turn to the person next to you and tell them that. I'm weak. <laughs> Hooray, hallelujah, right? That's what the Apostle Paul said. In Romans chapter 7, he said, I know that I am rotten through and through so far as my old sinful nature is concerned. No matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. But then he added this wonderful principle. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he's pouring out his heart to God and complaining again about that thorn in the flesh that he has, whatever it is, you've got a thorn in the flesh, I've got some. And this is what God, how he responded to Paul. He said, my grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. Once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. Now I take limitations in stride with good cheer. These limitations that cut me down to size, abuse, accidents, opposition, bad breaks, I just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. Isn't that amazing? The weaker I get, the stronger I become. The honest admission of weakness to our Almighty God is the first step toward opening up the channels of his power. And by the way, we're not talking about a once and for all gesture. I think that this is something that we're doing on a regular basis. We're coming to God and we're starting from the bottom level and we say, God, I come to you today, I'm weak. I'm weak, I have no power in myself at all. Isaiah 40, 29. Now I want you to look at this. Jill read it, but I want you to look at it and I want you to listen to it because I'm going to give you a quiz in a minute. Okay, Isaiah 40, 29. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. To whom does God give strength, according to that verse? 
the weary. To whom does he increase power? How many of you qualify for the power of God today? Qualify for the power of God if you're weak and if you're weary. You're a prime candidate to experience greater power from God. Well, let's move on and think about his promises. After we start with the most basic thing and say, I am weak, then we review the promises and we go to passages like we've looked at today, especially uh, that passage from Isaiah chapter 40. And uh, Philippians 4.13, that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We look at those promises and we assume that they are for us. And you're reading through his word, as you're reading through his word, in your small groups. You still have small groups around here? Okay, good. Bible studies, great. Every time you come to a promise, make sure you put a little star next to that or circle it or highlight or do something like that. Because those are reviewing the promises of God and saying, I want these promises, I want them to be applied to me. And finally, and this is tremendously important, act in faith. We act as if God will fulfill his promise of power in his life and in this situation. I think that is a great explanation of what it means to live by faith. We act as if these things are true. We act as we assume things that we read about God in his word, the promises that he gives us in his word, we assume them to be true and so we act as if <clears throat> they're true. Graphic illustration of that with Joshua in the Old Testament. People of Israel are finally ready to march into the promised land about after 40 years of taking laps around Mount Sinai, living on manna and water rather than milk and honey because they lack the faith to obey God and act as if he was going to take care of them. They didn't do that, and so they stayed in the wilderness all those years, didn't they? But finally they got to the place where they're ready to take the land that God had given to them. But it took active faith on the part of the leaders to set the pace, and you read that in Joshua. And the scripture says, and there, you know, you initially had the parting of the water, the, the Red Sea, to get them out of Egypt. And then you had the parting of the waters of the Jordan to get into the promised land. So they're right at the shores there. And on that occasion, when, when they were at the Red Sea, God just opened it for them, and they went through on dry land. But in, when they're about to enter their promised land, the priests had to get their feet wet. The leaders of the Israelites had to take some steps before the water went down. They had to take some steps, get their feet wet, and it says when the water hit the feet of the priests, of the leaders, spiritual leaders, that's when the water started to part. They had to take a step of faith to act as if God was going to do what he promised. And in the same way, we need to step out on faith. Um, as if God really will provide the needed power to face the challenge before us. That may mean expressing love to a husband or wife for whom you say you have lost nearly all romantic feelings. Acting as if, <clears throat> that may mean stepping back into that interpersonal conflict at work or with a fellow Christian in an effort to resolve it. 
Stepping out in faith, acting as if. That may mean making yourself available for ministry after a humbling failure, after being discouraged or severely criticized for what you do. That may mean focusing once again on that sinful habit or character flaw, trusting God to give you the desire and the power to overcome it. Now, I want to say in closing that this power doesn't often come like a lightning bolt. If you had a lightning bolt of power from the car battery into your Honda Accord, what would happen? Right? Very often, very often, it's more like a gentle current. God's power coming into our life in a way that we can handle it to deal with the things that are right before us. God has a way of giving us as much energy as we require and we can trust Him for. And so, it's time for some of us to get your feet wet. You've been standing on the shore waiting for God to do something for a long time. And there comes a time when you just say, okay, I'm going to act as if this promise is going to be fulfilled. And we take a step. We take a step in obedience to his word, and God provides the power. I'm going to ask you to join me in some reflection and prayer for these last few moments. And um, let's begin by affirming, once again, the omnipotence of God. Do you believe in your heart that God is all-powerful? I want to see your hand if you believe that. Do you believe God is all-powerful? Amen. Amen. Now I want you to think about an area or two in your life where you're feeling especially powerless today. May have to do with something with your family. May have to do with your finances. May have to do with your career. It may have to do with whatever. And you're just feeling so weak. The best thing to do, obviously, is to say, God, I'm weak. I don't have the answer for this. I don't have the resources for this. I don't have the direction, the wisdom for this. I am weak. And then review some promises. Like the ones we've been looking at today related to God's power. The Lord is an eternal God. The creator of the whole earth. He does not get tired or weary. There is no limit to his wisdom. He gives strength to those who are tired. To the ones who lack power, he gives renewed energy. Even youths get tired and weary. Even strong young men clumsily stumble. But those who wait for the Lord's help find renewed strength. They rise up as if they had eagle's wings. They run without growing weary. They walk without getting Father, thank you for the opportunity to spend these moments again thinking about your great power, your unlimited, perfectly controlled power that we need to be reminded of, but we also need to take advantage of. And so today I pray for this congregation and for each individual here today to have a greater awareness of your omnipotence today. I want to pray that for Tommy and Sue. 
I know they're feeling pretty weak and discouraged because of this accident that Sue had and needing to delay their trip. And Lord, I pray that you'd meet them right where they are today. Give them encouragement. Thank you that they're people who walk with you. And I have no doubt that they're going to seek and receive perspective to deal with this and be stronger for it. And uh, Lord, you know in my heart of hearts, I'd love to see that before long they're able to take this trip and it, it turns out to be better than they even imagined. Thank you so much, Lord, that we get to walk with you during this season of life. And because of that, because you are all-powerful and we are weak, we have no choice but to surrender to you. And we do that today in Jesus' name. Amen.